Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all-new Rate Shield approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield approval is a real game changer, and here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop, but here's the crucial part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same, but if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Chen. It's Tuesday, July 10th, which means we're talking consumer and retail. Uh, feels good to be back in the studio after some vacation time and the holiday last week. And we have a great show lined up for you. But first, let me introduce my guest, the one and only Asit Sharma. Hey, Asit, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Hello, listeners. I also am excited to be back. I had, as I was telling Vince, a little bit of water heater problems. They got quickly resolved. But sometimes you just want to go back to work. So I'm glad to be with you. Nice. Um, I actually wanted to ask you this random question, uh, kind of related to the holiday. But you know, at this point, we're about a week out from the 4th. I'm still hearing fireworks just about every night in my neighborhood. And I'm curious if you are experiencing anything like that in your neck of the woods. Sort of. We have a youngish neighborhood with a growing number of teens. So I think it's going to go on for a couple of weeks more. But... <laughs> I enjoy it, you know. Yeah, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but the fireworks in North Carolina, I think, have quite a bit more oomph to them than what you can get around D.C., at least in the immediate vicinity. So I don't know if it's even like worse in your in your area, if they're particularly loud. Yeah, it's louder. South Carolina is the big state where folks go to load up on these very powerful TNT-type yeah. <laughs> So if you, yeah, if, if you're a heavy sleeper, you're blessed. If you're not, uh, well, what can I say? Yeah, I feel like we're going to have people working through their fireworks hoard, uh, the, the hoarding that they've done all summer, but it is kind of fun. Um, so getting into the main topic of our show today, though, uh, my two favorite topics tend to be IPOs and M&A, and the business world has delivered because the IPO filing for Sonos became available last Friday. So Sonos produces wireless speakers and sound systems, and it's built up a pretty impressive following and user base over the past decade. Um, I'm curious, any chance that you have a Sonos in your home, asset? I don't. I am a big old-school audio guy, so I have the old hi-fi style equipment, and we mm-hmm. do have some speakers, but not a Sonos yet. After reading through this uh, filing for the IPO, I'm eager to buy one, actually. Sure, sure. So I have family, actually, that own multiple Sonos speakers, and they really rave about uh, the company and its products. And I have to say that going to their place and walking into each room of their apartment and being greeted by music, it's it's really nice. feels like you have a soundtrack for your home. And getting into some of the, the nitty-gritty for this business, uh, the company's registration statement was uh, released to the public last Friday. And I'd like to remind fools that you can check out that S1 filing by going to the SEC website and using its Edgar search tool. Uh, Asit and I will cover a lot of essentials behind this business, but uh, nothing can beat performing your own research and due diligence into the company. Um, but the proposed ticker is Sono, S-O-N-O. And the deal value um, that's listed in the prospectus is $100 million, but consider that a placeholder. Um, it'll cha- very likely change as the company advances through its IPO process. So Sonos was founded in 2002. Uh, their mission is to fill every home with music, and they launched their first wireless multi-room speakers in 2005, and their product portfolio has only grown since then to various speakers, sound bars, and as of last year, they've also taken the plunge into the voice-enabled smart speaker market with the help of Amazon's Alexa. We'll talk about that a little bit more. 
And to date, uh, Sonos has been backed by private equity and venture capital firms with about $450 million raised since 2005. And prior estimates of the Company's valuation have been as high as about two to three billion dollars to give you a sense of the size of this company that we're looking at. And my last tidbit, so listeners have a, a, a additional sense of scale for this company. Sonus reported nine hundred ninety-two million dollars of revenue in fiscal twenty seventeen, and actually cleared the one billion dollar mark for the one year period ending in March. So I said I'll pass the baton to you. Um, where would you like to dive in first in terms of the business? I'd like to give uh, our fellow investors, fellow listeners, um, some background on the market opportunity for Sonos, talking about what their current base looks like. It's always important in an IPO to figure out what kind of market does this company have and how can it grow. Uh, So these are stats provided in this registration statement. Uh, This is as of March 31st, 2018. That's their latest reporting period, and it covers six months of the current fiscal year. So Sonos customers, as of that end date, had registered over 19 million products in about 6.9 million households globally. And they estimate that their customers listen to about 70 hours of content per month, and that they listen to 80% more music after purchasing a Sonos product. Uh, Also, out of these 6.9 million households, 61% of these had registered more than one Sonos product. Uh, So there's this uh, phenomenon, which I guess Vince with your family can attest to, buying your first Sonos product and then you add on. I always look for recurring revenue sources for companies where, where I can find them. I think it's a great way to grow revenue because you build a core that then becomes incremental each year. So I like that statistic. They say their customers who initially purchased one Sonos product end up purchasing an additional 1.4 products. So you can't really buy a half of a product, but that's how the statistics average out. Yep. And um, those customers who have purchased more than one started with an average of 2.9 Sonos products, and they purchased an average of an additional two products over a period of years. So I think this is a really good uh, statistic to think about, considering that the market for... Uh, multi-room wireless speakers is nascent, and it's only scheduled to grow globally. And we'll talk in a little bit about the global picture for this company. Those statistics really um, hit me up. One more that I want listeners to be aware of is uh, how they track the use of their speakers over time. 93% of Sonos products that have been registered since 2005 have received a software update in the 12 months ended that March 31st period that I talked about. So Sonos automatically updates uh, its software and hardware as is de rigueur for most good products that are technologically oriented these days. So they've been tracking since they launched the company and they have about a 93% update rate, which to me is incredible. And it speaks to the utility of this product. Some of the IPOs that Vince and I have talked about over the last year uh, have metrics which fall off. Customers buy a product or subscribe to a subscription service, and then they tend to drop off. And Sonos is the other way. It's a hardware product, stays in your home, and it has more utility as you go along. Yeah, I think that is a really big part of the allure for these products in terms of the fact that um, even their older speakers released at this point years and years ago, still getting those updates so that the functionality is there for users. And I think that helps to build up a sort of loyalty among their customers. And that 
proves out in terms of the numbers, in terms of these follow-up purchases that they will make that you mentioned, whether they're purchasing a single speaker at first or multiple speakers. And I think the way the Sonos speakers connect, uh, in terms of my personal experience with them at least, it definitely... uh, the experience with the product improves as you build up how many of them that you have. And I think that's a big part of, you know, filling your home with music, right? So next, uh, let's look a little bit at some of the financials and numbers. Um, In terms of revenue growth and margins, revenue was up 7% in fiscal 2016, but the rate accelerated in 2017 to 10%, and it continues to pick up steam. It hit 18% 18% year over year for the first half of fiscal 2018, reaching about $656 million. And the company has attributed a lot of its recent growth to the release of its Sonos One smart speaker, which was released last October. Um, and while that is promising, gross, margin, gross margins have declined in the latest fiscal year, going from historical levels of 45% down to about 42%. Um, I'd usually consider that a red flag since that implies that these new smart speaker offerings have lower margins, but management notes that their gross margins are weakest for new products at launch, and improvements generally come over time as they achieve scale. And given the fact that unit volumes jumped almost 30% from 2.4 million to 3.1 million products sold for the first half of fiscal 2018, um, I think Sonus Management is in a position here where they're probably willing to take a little bit of the margin hit to boost growth in preparation for the IPO, uh, just as uh, something similar, or as part of that effort, Sonos cut its workforce recently in May, bringing some of its costs down too. Again, just improving a little bit of the optics for this business as investors are diving into it, um, you know, before it hits the public market. And you know, some of the kind of revenue profile and customer characteristics I wanted to get into, you covered those, Austin. And I think that's really the beauty of when you can dive into these S1 filings, because the company will discuss things about its customer base, how users engage with the product, uh, new and returning customer trends that you can't get uh, elsewhere. But something else I'd like to share in terms of some of the profile um, is the fact that uh, Sonos sells its speakers through third-party brick-and-mortar retail partners, uh, over 10,000 of them. And the company actually generates over half of its revenue abroad in more than 50 countries. Um, so, so, I was actually quite surprised to see that. I'm curious what your thoughts there in terms of you know how the markets break out for the company. I am very interested uh, in their distribution, the geographical distribution. Uh, it's pretty nice for a young company. Mm-hmm. If you look at the revenue breakdown of the first half of 2018, uh, in the Americas, so North America, basically, uh, the company had 50% of its revenue derived from that region, but 45% came from Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Uh, atypical in a company which is so young and fast growing, especially in the hardware business. Asia Pacific represented just 5% of sales. The company mentions in its filing that this is a region of enormous opportunity. Of course, we talk ad nauseum on this show about how important markets like China are. Well, I want to talk about a different market for just a second, and that's the market of Japan, which the company singles out in its filing. It's underpenetrated, and uh, I've had the opportunity to go to Japan. It is a music-mad country, and it is a very technologically advanced country. So this this uh, country in particular is a market where I think they could find millions of dollars of revenue in the future once they penetrate. So I really like the way that revenue is composed. Um, I want to say one more thing about revenue, going back to Vince's point about uh, the multi-year acceleration trend in revenue. It's not 
sky high as we've seen some software companies. Mm-hmm. Um, on this show, we might talk about fast-growing consumer goods companies, let's say Canada Goose, uh, for example, which have double-digit revenue growth year after year after year. Uh, stat statistics when they offer their they show their filings. This company is more of an eight to nine percent compounded annual growth uh, revenue company. That's not such a bad thing. The one thing, if you if you do buy into Sonos, which you have to be familiar with, the uh, revenue cycle is driven by product introduction, as Vince alluded to. So it can be lumpy. They're warning you in this filing that hey, you may buy this stock and next year. Uh, instead of a 11, 12, 13, or 17% gain, which is our track for this year, we might have a flat year. So there's just a note of caution in this. It depends upon the introduction of new speakers uh, to drive the next revenue cycle. Yep, that's a really great point to keep in mind. So most recently, um, you know, uh, driving a little bit of the growth or some of the additional growth that we've seen recently, they have the Sonos One. They also have the Sonos Beam, and they're expected to release uh, additional smart speakers um, that feature Google's voice assistant technology, and then hopefully um, some kind of backdoor approaches to how to partner with. Uh, Apple products as well. But uh, moving on a little bit to the bottom line margin, some of the profitability side there as well. I um, just want to cover this quickly. So the company has reported shrinking net losses. Um, I think the picture looks even a little bit better if you consider the adjusted EBITDA metric that's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And in Sonos case, they also back out stock based compensation. But overall, I think. Uh, we have a situation here. The company is in a pretty solid and improving financial position. As of March 31st, uh, Sonos had about $120 million of cash on hand, debt of just $40 million. And if you combine um, that kind of perspective with the 60, more than $60 million of positive operating cash flow last year, I think uh, the, this company is in better shape than many of the other uh, IPO candidates that are out there that are trying to go public. And um, I'm curious, any thoughts here in terms of the bottom line and other financial aspects before we move on to the bigger picture kind of competitive elements and landscape for this company? Sure. Just two quick points. Uh, that gross margin that you talked about, Vince, mm-hmm. is partly due to the fact that uh, Sonos uses one single contract manufacturer. Yes. It does a lot of R&D and a lot of uh, testing at its home base office, but it outsources the manufacture of its products to a company called Inventech. So that is a source of profit generation, but it's also a risk to be aware of. If that supplier has a disruption, that could be bad news in a particular quarter for Sonos. Uh, So that is something to keep in mind. And then also on that bottom line, I think that uh, this speaks to the use of proceeds. It's something that I always try to discuss when we talk about these IPOs. The use of proceeds for Sonos is pretty general. They don't have a specific goal in mind that we want to raise X million dollars and acquire a competitor. What they're saying in their filing is, hey, we want this to really introduce ourselves to the public markets. We want to um, use this these funds, whatever is remaining after uh, you know all the transaction fees are taken care of, to just um, add to working capital, general corporate purposes, very plain vanilla type of uses for the cash that they're going to raise. What they're saying in their filing is that going forward, we want to perhaps do a secondary offering, maybe offer some debt on Wall Street. So this is a way for the company just to move to a larger playing field to have more name recognition. I like that versus what we've seen in some other IPOs in the last two years, which are, hey, 
Um, if you don't send the money right away, uh, there won't be a wedding in May. <laughs> commercial events. Yeah, I hear We've you. We've seen that. We've talked about one or two of those companies on the show. I think Blue Apron is one example. So this is a much more stable company. I think Vince gave you a great rundown uh, balance sheet of solid. All right. So next up, we're going to hone in on some of the other risk factors and the competitive landscape here for audio and smart speakers, because there's quite a few players. Support for The Motley Fool and Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Let's talk about buying a home for a minute. Because of rising interest rates, there's a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home these days. It's causing a lot of anxiety with folks. Well, our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about that. They're calling it the power buying process. Here's how it works. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer. Then, once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new exclusive rate shield approval. First, they'll lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. Now, here's the best part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Again, that's rocketmortgage.com fool. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Okay, so, Asit, what does the competition look like here? We've uh, started to mention it at least a little bit. Um, but this is, I think, one part of the filing that really set off some real, uh, some actual alarm bells for me uh, in terms of who they're dealing with in terms of the competitive landscape. Me too, Vince. The company has two sets of competitors. On the one hand, you have audio component makers. Uh, many of these have been around for decades. Again, I mentioned I'm a hi-fi guy, so I grew up with these names. Harmon Carden, JBL, Polk Audio, Bang & Olufsen. These are now owned, for the most part, by larger companies like Samsung uh, and Sony. So they have deep-pocketed owners. And in the components market, that is just, if you think about these multi-room wireless devices, most of the companies I've just mentioned have already developed their own products, which compete with Sonos' products. Uh, And Bose is another great example. Uh, One of the biggest direct or not direct, sorry, one of the biggest channels that Sonos has uh, is through Best Buy. When they list out, hey, you know, these are the uh, channels that we sell to. Well, Bose sits right beside Sonos on the shelves, and, and we've seen them be a formidable competitor to many different speaker makers that have come. That's one set of competitors. And then you have what I want to call not um, enemy competitors, but frenemy competitors. Yes. We haven't mentioned yet that Sonos has this really great ecosystem of content providers. It integrates with companies like Pandora and Apple you know, via iTunes for streaming content. It lists about 100 partners. In this business, you have to have frenemies. Shift just a little bit over to another type of cooperation, and this is in the voice-activated speaker market. The big elephant uh, frenemy for Sonos is, of course, Amazon.com. Sonos One and Sonos Beam both feature voice control um, that's powered by Amazon's Alexa technology. Uh, Amazon is a competitor in that market. Amazon, of course, offers its own components. Um, So to bring up a metaphor, I guess the best one that I can think of would be uh, a point guard in basketball. Think of Amazon as the playmaker on a basketball team. When I was coming up uh, 
uh, the, the point guard was always described as a triple threat. That means that the point guard can dribble, can pass the ball, or shoot. So Amazon can, with any company it deems to hold a strategic uh, interest that it will say this could be a competitor or something that we can roll into our company, it pays attention to. We've seen it do this. I think on this show we talked about Ring, the home security devices. Everyone is familiar with the acquisition of Whole Foods Market by Amazon. So Amazon cooperating with Sonos, uh, putting its technology into Sonos products, has this decision tree to make, dribble, pass, or shoot. To me, um, dribble means that, hey, maybe we can acquire Sonos at some time. We've done that with other companies. We like their technology. We should just swallow them and extend the product line. Uh, pass means let's give them a pass. Let's let them keep going. Uh, they're not in our way just now. We like the product. It spreads Alexis technology out into the world, so let them be. Shoot, that's the most dangerous outcome. In that outcome, Amazon simply decides to undercut its frenemy uh, and we've seen it do this repeatedly once it finds a market that it wants to dominate um, and just underprice competitors out of the market. It doesn't have anything binding long term with Sonos that would prevent it from doing so. So this is something uh, I, I think you hit it on the, the head, that nail on the head, Vince. It's a red flag, but I'm really curious to see what are your thoughts. So don't worry about this too much or, or hey, uh, we need to think. I love the analogy, um, and for me, I, the issue ultimately comes down to the fact that given the emphasis that Sonos has placed on smart speakers as uh, an important source of their future growth, um, their roadmap looking forward, you know, investors do have to consider this predicament that the company's in when both a hardware competitor, you know, with the Echo and the Dot, and then uh, there's also the uh, offerings from Alphabet as well. So, you know, they have this uh, upcoming speaker that will feature Alphabet's own uh, voice assistant technology. Um, and they're, so they're powering the software on these Sonos devices. And again, if they decide to pull the rug out from beneath the company, um, as much as Sonos might try to spend on R&D, um, they talk about their strong patent portfolio and things along those lines, it will be a huge challenge for them to build up the software services side to roll if these uh, frenemies that they have decide that, hey, you know what, strategically, it doesn't make sense for us to support what is ultimately a hardware competitor anymore. Um, so here, we're going to start to uh, wrap up and share some of our final thoughts. And I think there's still a few uh, important aspects to this Sonos store to keep in mind. So on one hand, Sonos is arguably the company that many investors have been waiting for if they want clean exposure to the smart speaker market. And this is really going to be the only peer play option trading publicly in the near future because it's tough to look at an Apple, an Apple, an Alphabet, or an Amazon, or even a Samsung and Sony in terms of uh, the larger companies having these kind of portfolio brands that you mentioned. Um, you can't really see those stocks as a play on smart speakers given how small the contribution is that that business is for these huge, huge companies. Um, but you know, in the end, that 
I also can consider that a curse in that, you know, Sonos has this open platform, these partnerships with the hundred streaming content providers that you mentioned, but the market has generally been unkind to hardware-focused companies in the consumer electronics space, and for good reason. Um, I think it's an unfortunate comparison, but Austin, like, what's the cautionary tale that came to mind when you were looking to Sonos? Because it came to mind for me, too. Hey, GoPro. GoPro had a similar profile, very innovative product, uh, which the management of that company tried to sell investors on this prospect that will differentiate into content, and that will keep us from being just a hardware manufacturer. When you look through Sonos's filing, they do have a persuasive argument that, look, we've got a lot of patent technology. We pioneered this stuff. Uh, our app is very seamless, and it helps our um, ecosystem expand. So they've got a persuasive argument, but at the end of the day, if the frenemies do decide to compete, and Apple with Siri is yet another competitor that we haven't mentioned. Uh, as you mentioned, Alphabet, uh, Vince, Sonos is also integrating with Siri in its speakers, but Apple has its own product. So GoPro is, is the example that came up to, to came right up to the surface of both of our minds. Uh, we hope this isn't another GoPro. In my final thought is I really like, after reading about Sonos, I really like the way the company's run. I like its innovation. I think if you are someone whose heart is in this business, you want, you've been waiting for that investment, the pure play speaker market, as Vince says, then uh, consider buying this. If you're not, then I'm going to give the standard advice that we've given for many IPOs which don't have that huge target, you've got to buy in now, which is wait, watch this thing over a few quarters. The train won't leave the station immediately. It rarely does in hardware components. So you have time to uh, figure out if this company is for you or not. And Vince, I'm curious uh, what your thought is. Would you, would you buy this next month? Would you wait? Well, I will say I'll wait just to get the uh, the official kind of S1 prospectus once they've shared more details in terms of you know how much proceeds are they raising, what the valuation will be based on the range that they provide. So you know there's always that base information that of course we'll be uh, looking out for and we'll update on in a future episode. Um, but otherwise at this point, it does worry me. I think the GoPro comparison is apt, though maybe I'll I'll call it a hybrid of GoPro and Roku because it is kind of this open agnostic platform in terms of the content providers. But unfortunately, there's no ad business for this to rely on, whereas you know Roku has been able to kind of leverage that and move away from being branded as purely a hardware play. And so that's my take on it. Um, I'm curious, any final uh, other thoughts that you think uh, investors should have before uh, we roll off? Sure. Just one uh, last thought is the company is projecting that it will move into other services, hasn't really clarified that. So ultimately, management wants to extend beyond this uh, into other product lines. And you can you know, take your imagine imagination into cars, um, office. I think they did actually mention office as an outlet. So there are some peripheral revenue streams that Sonos can tap into. 
that needs capital, but hey, that's why they're going public. So uh, for me, keep an eye on it. Very interesting company. Very intriguing company. Yeah, it's, 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 it can be tough sometimes when you have a company here where you're maybe not so certain about the business itself, but you know, in terms of my personal experience with products, quite like them. So this is a bit of a tough situation there, but. Uh, Fools, we will definitely be providing updates for Sonos um, as they're, they come closer to pricing their IPO and in the quarters after that, how the business performs. Asit, thanks for being here. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Fools, thank you so much for tuning in. People on the program may own companies discussed in the show, and The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Fool on. Fool on.